Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's state of state. We got your Nittany line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. 
This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The college football national championship game is just days away, but also the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, and more are in full swing. Bet Online has all the up to the second odds, news, and info. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by Bet Online, where the game game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out their Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us live on the State of State YouTube channel. News reported earlier on today that Penn State wide receiver Dante Cephas is expected to enter the transfer portal after just one year in Happy Valley. I'm Tom Hanfin. He's Justin King. This will post in a matter of moments on our audio-only platforms. Like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, rate us, check us out on X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. If you're following us on X and Instagram, you knew about this live show coming out. So be sure to follow along there. And then also a shout out to our sponsors within this podcast, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Head to HelloFresh.com slash LionFree and use code LionFree for free breakfast for life with any subscription. Again, that is HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So now that we got some business out of the way, Justin, your first reaction when you saw this broken by Pete Nakos of On3. My first thought was, uh, well, that's a dud, right? In the sense of the transfer portal for, for himself. I had a little bit of um, awareness of the situation when he was going to the transfer portal. And there was like a conversation before he even came to Penn State amongst some of my business associates, my founder of Ath Eco IO, kind of dealing with some of the, the movement behind the scenes. And we were thinking like, is Penn State a good fit? And it was just like, well, we'll see if things operate. And so it looks like a dud move. But I'm not surprised after he didn't record a snap on Saturday. And I think that was the kind of the telltale sign if I'm a player and I have any type of ability to move like that would be the writing on the wall the writing on the wall with a new oc being there so yeah i understand i understand but a dud for the transfer portal acquisition to the point you were just making dante cephas did not play a single snap against ole miss in the peach bowl uh head coach james franklin was asked about it after the fact he said quote everything's an open competition every week and the depth chart reflects that then obviously when you're in a bowl situation you've got three weeks there's a lot of movement that can occur in those three weeks part of that obviously is having trey wallace back that we had not had for about five weeks this year and you and i talked about it when we did the recap episode of what went down at the peach bowl is that this is an offense that came out with two tight ends two running backs and one wide receiver and that was trey wallace next guy you saw out there i believe keandre lambert smith cycled in as did malik mclean as did omari evans so didn't see Dante Cephas. His full stats for his one season at Penn State, 22 catches, 246 yards, and two touchdowns. His best game, obviously, was in the 51-15 to victory against Maryland. Six catches, 53 yards, and his two touchdowns came in that game. And for a lot of us Penn State fans, we're like, oh, man, like, okay, he, ar- he arrived late on campus because he was finishing up his studies at Kent State. I think he got to Penn State in May, something like that. 
And we're like, okay, maybe the light bulb is just going off later on in the season. Uh, again, not sure if this was a disciplinary issue going into the Peach Bowl itself, but you said you kind of have had a hunch about this. You recruited Cephas since he was in high school when you were a part of Penn State's recruiting uh, staff. So uh, you said you weren't surprised now, but just in the time that you've known Dante, did how this play out surprise you at all? No, I mean, I have a strong belief that the eval coming out of high school is essentially this, kind of the same eval when they're leaving to go to the NFL. I have a strong theory that guys do not develop that much in college. You're just put in a position for your talents to show. You might just mature a little bit. You get a little older, bigger, stronger, depending on your developmental, uh, the arc of development that you're kind of on. But, I mean, he was he was always a great athlete, someone that was like a dog on the field. But when it came down to the technicals, it was it was just kind of up in the air. Just, I mean, what it was. And he didn't have the elite speed. So it was funny because him and Day-Day Hardy were in the same class. So, like, the two guys that we recruited from the same team, there was an undersized guy with elite speed, playmaking ability. So when you watched the two games, you saw the elite traits that he did have and some of the – areas that he needed to improve on. And you just wondered if it was like more of a makeup and fit at Penn State. Cause I don't, I think he's still a, a good um, quality receiver and has the ability, but sometimes it is the fit. We had a receiver coach, a first year receiver coach for at Penn State with him, the OC blunder first year uh, uh, starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. And so getting into the mix of an offense when you're coming in as a receiver, starting in the summer, is is extremely hard unless you're just a special special talent. So, I mean, I was a coin flip when he was trans transitioning in because I remembered the high school eval and just not knowing how the developmental thing went. Even though he put up crazy numbers at Kent State, but every coaching staff, every offensive line, quarterback, and situation is completely different. And this is another example of beware of the transfer portal. In regard to his stats at Kent State. In 2022, suffered some injuries. He only played nine games, but 48 catches, 744 yards, 15 yards per completion, three touchdowns. 2021 was stellar for him. 82 catches, 1,240 yards, 15 yards per catch, and nine receiving touchdowns. So there were a lot of Penn State fans, myself included, over the summer that were really hopeful that would translate. It would be a step up. Not Would you see him catch 82 passes? No, but to get 22 for 246 and two touchdowns, I think a lot of people – hoped that could be doubled if not tripled and there were even there was even talk over the summer of this guy could come in and supplant Keandre Lambert Smith as the number one wide receiver and, and that just never happened um, some questions here in the chat thank you to all of you who are joining us live here in the middle of the day on a Wednesday uh, Chris from Penn State does this move mean uh, coach James Franklin will have to work harder to get better wide receivers on offense I'm curious how much of a setback this will be considering our talents have been with the quarterbacks, tight ends, and running backs on offense? I mean, I think it's a, a benefit of getting other guys in. I don't think any of you know the personality of receivers. They don't look at a receiver leaving like, hey, I don't want to go there because he's going. It's like, oh, that's an opportunity for me to shine. You know what I mean? So like, I think it's actually a good thing from his recruiting standpoint. But it just comes to, I guess, ask the question of like, again, identifying the right talent that fits into your system and not just the hot name on the board or – the name that we all recognize, like actually evaluating the pieces that you need and the traits that align with the offense that you're trying to run. I think it gets into the weeds a little bit to have a right decision because you can look at the 
the numbers. I mean, there's some things I had question marks just based on the makeup, but that's like two, three years of understanding the kid from 15, 17. You understand? So it's like understanding a little bit more of the trajectory of some of these guys is extremely important, especially when you're pulling guys out of the transfer portal. Josh hopping in the chat here, more of a statement than a question. It's time for Penn State football to buy some NFL-like wide receivers from a, an Ole Miss and Oregon, Washington in the transfer portal. Uh, Justin, you talk about those, quote, one-touch guys. You're very outspoken about it on social media. You don't want a dude who is coming from, again, nothing against Kent State and then even Mitchell Tinsley at Western Kentucky. Before that, guys come from smaller programs and trying to elevate. It's like, no, I want a proven commodity that's going to come in here and light things up. Well, I think that's what's interesting about football is that you get there's more than one way to skin a cat. And sometimes you have to have a lot of different ingredients for certain situations to work. I remember um, I had a pretty heated argument with one of the offensive coordinators back at Penn State. I'm not going to say which one it was, but we got into a very big disagreement about um, the production of a receiver being the same. He said if a guy catches six six balls for 60 yards – and one touchdown, it's the same thing as a guy that catches one touchdown, one catch for 60 yards and one touchdown. And I was like, no, it isn't. I was like, it's a completely different scenario from the defensive standing on it, like the fear that's put into it, the ability to make that play. But this was like a foundational argument that I saw in coaching in a blind spot where it's like, okay, they're looking at numbers, they're looking at production. Who does this? Can he run the route tree? It's like sometimes – I mean, there was a there was a player, Jamison Williams. Like there was, mm. there was a time where he brought up his high school highlight tape was just bombs, just fades, very limited route yeah. tree. And the mm. one thing that was brought up was like, can he run any other routes? And it's like, doesn't have to. I'm just going to go. I'm just, I'm just going into the point of the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So there's been times where like, old offensive coordinators. Um, receiver coaches and these aren't guys that are bad coaches like they've all ra- rose up in the professions that are mm-hmm. head coaches now right literally so, so it's a philosophical it's philosophical it's a, right it's a philosophical thing and that happens sometimes with offensive coaches that's why it's a given it's a it's a given pool type of situation um because it has to align like you have i mean you can look at the numbers and say all right all 1200 yard receivers are created equally and they're not like based on what you're trying to put against the defense. Like for just example, we went played Ohio State back in 2018 and, you know, the game that Saquon returned to opening kickoff. And we, we were looking at the receivers that they had at the time. This was before they had like a premiere. I mean, I want to say it was the, they had some speed guys, but they mm-hmm. weren't doing anything extravagant from a route standpoint. It was just speed, scaring guys, getting in the space. And sometimes from a coach's standpoint, that is de-emphasized because we like our playbooks. We like our technical systems that we like to run. So as long as we get out of that and start looking back into like, yo, who are the guys that like, oh shit, everything breaks down, just throw it up. And like, he can make a play and he can do it. And those guys typically have different talent, personalities and things that come along with it. But I'm excited about uh, Pete Gonzalez coming up to Penn State next year. I think he has, is, a, is a freshman that has some promise that can kind of fit in, has that mode of, a one-touch guy and a bigger receiver as well, and his best days of football are ahead of him. But those guys are a premium. But the coaching staff and the philosophy has to value those guys beyond anything else, and not just like, "Hey, that's a receiver." Because even when we we're doing player uh, player um, compensations, and we would like 
mark off the players by the value that they brought to the team. So obviously tier one was a quarterback. And then we got to tier two. We were thinking like the offensive lineman is like offensive lineman and then elite speed receivers, because like that is the aesthetic of the game. That is, makes it exciting. That brings so much dynamic into, I mean, a performance. And right now we just don't have it. To your point about uh, the incoming wide receivers, uh, Peter Gonzalez, who we've had here on State of State, uh, listed at six two and a half, two hundred pounds. Josiah Brown uh, out of Malvern, New York, six foot, one hundred seventy pounds. He's a three star. And then Tyser Denmark was somebody that got a lot of people's attention. I believe was flipped from Oregon, five eleven, one hundred eighty pounds. He's a Philly kid. So I don't know how you feel about Denmark, considering I think he's gotten the most buzz of the three of those wide receivers. I go but based on his like what I see in person. So like I can say Pete because I've seen the development and how sure. it continues to go. But I've seen some of these other guys, and I will say without diving into it, you don't really know like the type of competition they're playing against until they you know get on campus and let things ride. But I mean, I know Marcus Higgins from a standpoint of a recruiting coordinator, from an evaluation standpoint, him playing at a high level, him being a high quality coach. I believe how he will evaluate and bring in receivers will be to Penn State's level like he's he's not the type of receiver coach that lines up with the philosophy that I was speaking of earlier because he's a guy that's seen it like he played with Torrey Hole he played with Isaac Bruce like he's seen special people do special things and when you have that I mean you push the chips in hey NIL get out the way find some money get this thing happening yeah there have been a lot of people disappointed with Marcus Higgins in his first year. And uh, again, it's his first year. I think there's not been enough time to really evaluate the job that he's done, especially in the recruiting side, and then trying to improve the current crop of wide receivers. I I encourage people to just give it time. Um, One thing I do want to bring up here in regard to this Dante Cephas thing, and Justin, you and I were talking about this before we came on the air, is that there's uh, this has taken a a bit of an ugly turn in regard to Dante Cephas uh, within the last few days. Um, I want to point to some things on social media that people may or may not be aware of. So this one, this one X following uh, the Peach Bowl, December 30th. Um, so Penn State wide receiver Caden Saunders put out a tweet that said, quote, all I see on my Twitter is stuff about our wide receivers. We have more than enough talent. Trust me, LOL. There was a response to that from a fan, uh, Mike W., it's obvious this is a running back tight end offense with a limited quarterback and a great defense. Imagine if Penn State brought in a Cam Ward who threw for 1,400 more yards than Aller with worse receivers. That tweet went out on December 31st. Dante Cephas liked that tweet. You can sit here and be like, oh, you like the tweet, but like, okay, that's one. Here's another one. <laughs> Seth Angle, who covers Penn State football on a regular basis, uh, put out a video that was very brief and it showed Dante Cephas in the tunnel after the Peach Bowl. It was reported by Seth Angle and, and multiple reporters is that Dante Cephas was one of the first players off the field after the Peach Bowl ended and did not stand out on the field with the rest of the team for the singing and the playing of the alma mater, which is something, as you well know, is traditional and goes back a very long way. Uh, Seth Angle's tweet said Penn State wide receiver Dante Cephas who did not record a snap on Saturday, was one of the first players off the field postgame. Dante is doing nothing nefarious in the video. He is standing there. He's looking onto the field, but he is obviously not with his teammates. There was a tweet in response to this from uh, a Steve Trone. Quote, these young men need to transfer immediately. This is a program and culture stuck in the 1950s. No names in the jerseys. The fans worship Sandusky. This tweet was liked by Dante Cephas. 
So I'm not going to try and make a thing on social media too big of a deal. To me, that last thing is a gigantic line cross and something that as a fan, someone who went to Penn State, who grew up within the Penn State community, there's an understanding of these things and an understanding of what happened and the horrors that went down and the crimes that were committed. And then you pull something like this when you're ticked off that you didn't play in a game. Uh, not a great move. No, I, I would completely agree. I would. I mean, players are emotional, right? Especially in the heat of the moment, if we're even thinking about watching him leave the field, even NFL players get 15 minutes before they have to address the media. So, like, I mean, we're just observing, like, but liking and different things of that nature, like those tweets, yeah, have some level of decorum. Because, like, I, I mean, he's a disgruntled football player. Like, so I've seen those a lot of times, and I think liking a tweet is on the low end of being disruptive because he didn't do <laughs> – like, I mean, there's the, the Raiders player that went on live after a, a victory. It was like, why ain't these efforts playing me? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he didn't like, and that's a professional football player. He ended up getting released four four weeks later, but he, him liking a couple of tweets, although, I mean, there, I don't know the validity of it, but it shows the emotional state that he's in or disgruntled about his time at Penn state. I think that's valid. And I think Penn state is a place that if you don't want to be there, it's going to be hard for you to succeed there, right? Oh, yeah. And this and this goes back into what I even talk about from the NIL standpoint, where it's better to find guys that fit within that culture of your school that want to be there because that gives you the developmental and a, a fertile ground to like help them develop. But if someone's coming in and they're not necessarily a fit and they're just trying to play football, there's a lot of things even going to Penn State, whether it's the rules, whether it's a, a, a acquired taste of tradition that fit like Penn state has their thing, Michigan, like they have Michigan, man. You hear Jim Harbaugh talking about all the time. Like we're doing this got Blake Quorum saying, don't come here looking for money. This, that, and the third. And what that does is it attracts a certain personality that you have all hearts going in the same direction, right? Versus the different philosophy of just having different talented players that can fill in. But there's instances like places like Penn state that, you have to have guys that are bought in and want to be at Penn State. And if he's not that. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of comments here in the chat uh, from Tony. He didn't even know the playbook. And the same comment from Robert here in the chat. No excuse for not knowing the playbook. Any validity to Dante Cephas just outright not knowing the playbook? It's funny you say that because it, it, it's pretty hard for fans to know that a receiver doesn't know the playbook unless yeah. you're busting coverages or conversions unless you're the in the room and you ask him point blank you know what's this what's your assignment here and he doesn't know well that and the, i was more so alluding to the fact that at the beginning of the season when he was getting limited snaps when he was getting in from the casual fan standpoint it looked like he was running the wrong route whether drew threw it to an empty space and he was going there and they're all looking like oh where, where was i going like that happened probably three or four times in the first six games when he was getting limited snaps. So he started to become like a running joke. Like, does he know the playbook? And then you kind of put that information into the bucket of like, okay, why isn't this transfer plan? Probably doesn't know the playbook. So like, not to go back into the eval is a deep thing, but like, that's kind of like, he wasn't like a technician coming out of high school. He was a, a athlete that made plays and sometimes going to schools like a Kent state can, you, you can have the ability to show those talents because there's, there aren't demands other places that you need to fulfill and you can just focus on your scope being okay i could just play the football the way i need to play it. instead of maybe coming to somewhere like penn state you have to 
prove that you're committed to the weight room. You've got to prove that you know the, uh, the playbook. You have to prove that you're in shape enough. You have to like prove some things before they even trust you to get onto the field. Other programs, whether it's Pitt or different places, like they'll coddle that because the talent level isn't the same. So like we, we get into this, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a chemistry experiment at the end of the day and like balancing out identities, traits, personality, like the whole thing with into a football program. And it just shows that, I mean, it's not a simple formula, but this one didn't work. No, and now this leaves the Penn State wide receiver core again as we're live here right now. Keandre Lambert-Smith, Liam Clifford, um, Malik Mega, Omari Evans, uh, Trey Wallace, Harris Wallace III, um, Caden Saunders, Tyler Johnson, uh, Malik McClain, the transfer from Florida State who came in at roughly the same time as uh, Dante Cephas, uh, Anthony Ivey, Mason Stahl, Carmelo Taylor, uh, Faseo Olele, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, Jan Mayer, Ethan Black, Jake Spencer, Jason Estrella, and then the aforementioned players coming in as a part of the 2024 class. So it's like, okay, there's a, there's a lot of names on that list. So there's going to be a lot of time for everybody to compete, but at least it's like, okay, the production you're losing is not drastic. It just didn't, didn't pile up in that capacity. Keandre Lambert Smith, you and I talked about in our last episode was like, Hey, what is he going to do? Is he going to stick around to Penn State? Is he going to transfer? Is he going to jump to the NFL? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. If anything, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Trey Wallace as hopefully the guy to, you know, be, not be the guy, but potentially be the guy for 2024. And then really hoping Malik McLean uh, makes a step, had a year to learn and has plenty of eligibility left, has tons of size and tons of ability, but it's a big question mark at wide receiver again. I'm going with the no names, no face, no names, uh, no face type of approach. And like, if someone shows me something, show me something. Like, I'm not really mm -hmm. expecting anything from anybody. Um, and I would like to talk on like some of these comments. Josh, is, is there any chance that Penn State football can pick up a second Ohio State receiver in the transfer portal. Like these are the type of nothing against Josh, but I understand the sentiment. But these are the type of comments that I mean when you go in deeper into the evaluation process. Because just because he's a second or third on Ohio State doesn't mean he's going to fit at Penn State just because he's at Ohio State. Because we got the same issue. That was my thing when we were talking about with Coach Casey with Fleming. There were some aspects of his skill, his traits skills and his traits that I felt like, yeah, they're good from a baseline standpoint, but is it a need that we, is the, his or his traits filling our needs, like our current needs, right? Because you can have a luxury receiver that does what you need to do, but you need somebody that fills a certain bucket right now. And then there was another one I wanted to touch on. This is a oh, yeah. I, like to, I like to know what the secret sauce was during King season that led to Dion Butler Norwood developments and great receivers without five-star pedigrees. That's a great question that I awesome would love question. to dot. Yes. Awesome question. Thank you for that, Ben. I'll start with Dion. Dion was a walk-on defensive back. Okay. And so when I got to Penn State, you know, we all came in January and I remember the first day of doing one-on-ones. Derek was hurt a little bit. So I got to go against Dion and Jordan. Jordan was a gray shirt, which means he stayed, he came to school an extra year. So he was a little bit younger, but whatever. Long story short, two guys that weren't on scholarship. And I mean, I couldn't, I mean, Dion was just like flying. Like he was like running. I wasn't, I was surprised of how fast he was. So like what made Dion 
special without having a five-star pedigree is one people didn't know how to evaluate back then but Dion was a four three like a low four three receiver that could catch had ball skills and ultra competitive but the key phrases are like he was a big play threat and he was slippery and all those things and so with that developmental arc of a his like we're all roommates so we're all competing so you mix those two in with me and Derek who have kind of five-star pedigree or how we're like expecting to do it I think it kind of iron sharpen iron type of situation for his development Jordan elite trait of short area quickness and being able to run routes in short hands not that he was a burner to go over top but when I say elite traits in between the hashes of getting in and out of breaks like I didn't didn't see anyone move like that. And he was like a 5'10 guy that would go into the court and dunk on you. So like these are like exceptional athletes, even though they weren't five-star pedig- like if you saw who the people who were doing the rankings, you wouldn't put too much rank like too much mm. weight on the rankings. No disrespect to anybody, but you have to get into the actual evaluation and where that fits within the program. And just baseline and looking at national recruiting records is not it. You have to get into the weeds and put together a nice product. And that's what we used to do back then because I believe the mentality was all aligned. Another question here from uh, Glenn or more of a comment. The truth is Franklin is not recruiting good enough wide receivers. After watching the playoffs, he realized how not being able to win outside is a huge handicap. I completely agree on you need to have to be able to win on the outside and have elite wide receiver talent, period. No argument there. Um, Franklin, we've talked about it on this platform before, is that there is a specific mold of wide receiver that he likes. We've had people in the chat that have been like, oh, they got to go after a, a bigger wide receiver. Malik McLean, Malik Mega, while they have not ascended to superstardom, are big dudes. So they at least have some of those guys in-house at the moment. Uh, but James Franklin tends to lean towards these guys that are about 5'10", 6 foot, anywhere from about 180 to 200 pounds and are fast, are very efficient with um, uh, running a route and then also extremely good pass catchers. And he's not like they are burners like KJ Hamler and Deshaun Hamilton. And uh, I mean, I like there's like Chris Deshaun Godwin. Wasn't a burner. He was not a burner in your opinion. He's just a good receiver. He was a playmaker, though. Like, he was able to make plays. He was a number one guy, but he wasn't a one-touch guy. Fair. Jahan Dotson, one-touch one guy. He's um, a one-touch So, but again, these are, that. there's a specific mold, and you look at Trey Wallace, and you look at the build of Keandre Lambert-Smith, Dante Cephas, Liam Clifford, like, all these guys kind of look the same. There's a want there. So it's like, okay, like, do you have to completely change that model? Um. I think what you just pointed out is the inconsistency at the co- at the receiver coaching position because when we think of just the talent acquisition funnel, like it's coming through different eyes over the past four or five years in different offices, and so now you're seeing the incongruence of receivers, whether it's the traits or how they play, and everyone has a different outlook on receivers. Like I said, I argue with an offensive coordinator who thought six catches for sixty and the touchdown is the same as one catch for 60 yards and a touchdown. And that's, I mean, to his credit, his philosophy works. He makes a lot of money doing this. So like he can say, Justin, go to hell. Like, but I believe what I believe, but that's what I'm saying. There's more than one way to skin a cat in football. Mm-hmm. So if you have that mentality, you just have to know that your way might not be it. And there's other ways to build out what you're building. That's why I always believe on having objective views on your roster construction, your staff and everything. So you can understand What's going on? Like that's why Bain, Deloitte, and all these companies exist. They just don't exist in football, which is weird because we keep making the same mistakes. Not saying that we're making mistakes, but 
it's hard to look inside or look in the mirror as much as you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, comment here from Chris, refusal to use the portal for immediate impact players will be the reason PSU falls behind, whether it's Franklin, lack of NIL, et cetera. PSU is too stubborn in their ways and it's going to ruin them. I, I said, again, that's, this goes into my philosophy. It's like, it's not really about, I guess, what was it? Can you put that comment back up again? Because I was like yeah. reading I think I, and before you, uh, as you're reading it, I agree that, yes, they need to get more active. It doesn't need to be the full-on Deion Sanders Colorado model where you build entirely through the portal, but there needs to be more activity in order to land better players, and that comes from NIL money, and that is something that Penn State is behind on. They're catching up, but they're behind. And I guess that's what I'm jumping to is that I don't know if it's a, a refusal to use the portal more so than – again, a philosophy of building out like the Stillers or the Ravens, like the Ravens, like those teams don't go into free agency to build luxury items. Like that's just not it. You build them from within so that that person that is integral to your program is kind of being developed within what you're doing, right? Like Antonio Brown for the Stillers, or you got a KJ Hamler, KJ Hamler or Jahan Dotson that comes in and guys that are able to reach their potential within. So I think what it comes down to is like, is finding those guys still coming out of the recruiting process and putting a premium on explosive players coming out of high school. Because once you get into the transfer portal game, I think you're paying Kings ransom money for 50, 50 crap shoots to be completely honest. Like you don't know what you're bringing in. You don't know who's going to fit within the program or the philosophy. You just don't know anything unless you recruit the guy out of high school. So I always start with the top of the funnel, which is, like those luxury positions coming out of high school, like that's making sure you get the guy that fits that wants to be at Penn State and play the way they do. But having those hard lines of like, yo, we need these traits to match up and what we want and figure it out from there. That's what the coaches get paid to do. Uh, one more quick comment here. Uh, I am this from Ben. I am wondering if the last two seasons focusing on tight end and Powerball has unintentionally taken away from the development on the outside. I don't think that's a last two seasons thing. That's been for the bulk of James Franklin's time at Penn State is getting a crazy talented uh, tight end room. Uh, and yes, the running back talent has obviously improved. Nick Singleton and Catron Allen are fantastic, and they are an upgrade, the best Penn State has had since Miles Sanders and before him, Saquon Barkley. So yeah, the elite running back talent doesn't grow on trees. So it's a complicated answer. I wouldn't say that's just within the last two years. This is kind of the way James Franklin molds his teams. I would agree with that. And to the point of like you play to your players to an extent, like you you call your plays or you try to get your players involved. If your two best players are running backs and tight ends that we've seen over the past couple of years, it's like you use those. And we've had a question mark on the outside. And so it's like when you're drawing up plays, are you going to go to the players that you know are better than all their matchups or the ones where it's like a 50-50? So you start leaning and going into that personnel makeup. And so with that, you can get comfortable and like, all right, I only need this level of receiver on the outside when really you need this level of receiver on the outside because it is a handicap and it's hard to, it's hard to march down the field and have perfect drives. Like you need players that can take the top off. And now I'm speaking as a defensive back. Like I loved playing against teams that didn't have a deep threat. Like I didn't care about anything. I probably play undisciplined football because it's like, I'm not afraid of you. So if you, don't put, if you don't put fear into the defense, even if they're not that good, it's 
but that's a coaching philosophy. Even if they're not good, it's a value add to your team and putting guys on their heels to be able to get the edges and do different things of that nature. Tyreek Hill doesn't run the greatest routes, but damn it, can't cover him. <laughs> He's too fast. He's a game changer. I mean, value these traits, man. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, the news as reported by Pete Nakos of On3 is that Penn State wide receiver Dante Cephas is expected to enter the transfer portal. We are going to keep an eye on this. Thank you all so much for tuning in live here on YouTube. This is going to post in a matter of moments on our audio-only platforms. As always, like, comment, subscribe, turn on notifications, rate us, and follow us on X, Instagram, and TikTok at State of State Pod. Again, if you were following us on X and Instagram, you knew about this live show. We were trying to react as quickly as possible after this story broke. So again, the news is that Dante Cephas is expected to go into the portal. What is going to be the next domino to fall for the Penn State wide receiver core? Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, let us know what you think of the show on social media and check out all of our content on X, Instagram, and TikTok. Search for the handle at State of State Pod. State of State is presented by Bet Online and by Blue White Outfitters. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.